Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we are the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than the entire wave of Saturday Night Live cast members in the 80s, minus Eddie Murphy, getting any work outside of that show. That was very long. Yes, it was very constructed, took a long way to get to the point, but I think you get me. Um, And we are coming to you, obviously, through Stitcher and Podbean, also through Musings of a Geek and the Tangent Bound Network. Thank you so much for having us on there. Also... Through the Bearded Pods Network, BeardedPodsNetwork.com, featuring not only us, but Teddy and the Baseman, and the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast, and one self-shout-out I have. Yet another book on Audible, which is The Bride War Brains. It's a short, funny zombie story. So if you uh, search my name in Audible, Evan Harris, you can find it. And and we're going to stop plugging your audiobooks now. No, never. As long as I keep new ones coming out, um, I'm jamming it in there. But we kind of teased something last week at the end of the episode that we were hoping would happen today, and it did. It's a really big deal. We're both excited about it. In the annals of crossover history, like in the comics, when you got a good Batman-Superman comic or Spider-Man Avengers, we're now doing that with the Lucky 10,000. We would like to put our hands together for my co-host from the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast, Jason Underwood. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's up, man? Doing good, doing good. I'm happy to be uh, happy to be aboard. Well, I'm excited that you're here because we're going to talk about cool stuff that you know, and we'll be luckier for it. Exactly. That's the whole point of the podcast, and we're all comedy fans here. Uh, I would be willing to say that Jason and Carissa are slightly more passionate and knowledgeable about comedy than I am, and so hopefully, maybe they'll even teach me something. But something that I think is generational and that we all were attached to at one point or another in our lives that we all have been put on is Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I know on uh, on our show, I, I usually tend to like DV away, get away from, you know, like, oh, we're getting too. I feel like we're talking about things that are personally a little too um, like I, I don't know anything about them. So but SNL and, and comedy in general, that's something I definitely nerded out a lot about when I was a uh, younger and stuff. Awesome. Yeah, you guys honestly share a huge passion, both of you for stand up, especially. Yeah. So you should bond over that. And Saturday Night Live has <laughs> been a great platform for a lot of stand ups, um, a good end point for a lot of stand ups, too. You know, that's kind of the goal for a lot of people to get into comedy. Now, I'm going to assume because we're all sort of from approximately the same generation my Saturday Night Live, when I became aware of it and was watching it, we're talking, you know, the the Phil Hartman, the Dana Carvey era, Nora Dunn, Jan Hooks, Dennis Miller doing the weekend update. What what memories do you guys have for the first time you encountered it? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, what cast is your cast? Yeah. Mine is usually, I call it the 90s. <laughs> yeah. We got like Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon and those guys. Uh, well, starting like early, you know, Spade and Farley and... Oh, sure. Even starting earlier than that, when you get the tail end of like Dana Carvey and Hartman. Yeah, except I personally never actually found Phil Hartman very funny. What? Yeah, I know. But he was an ever-present part of my SNL. So he's definitely on the list. And going up through, you know, the mid-90s 
Sandler was there. Janine Garofalo was on for a season. That was yeah, pretty she good. was. Michael McKean was on for a season. That was pretty good. And then like, yeah, then you get into what would become the 2000 era. So Will Ferrell, Molly Shannon, Chris Kattan, actually. Oh, Chris Kattan was hilarious on Saturday Night Live. Huge on Chris Kattan. So that's mine, really. It's 90-ish to just before 2000. What about you, Jason? Well, I, I mean, I remember uh, the very first SNL sketch I ever saw was, or and I didn't even know, I didn't even realize it was SNL. I was at a friend's house. It was late night, of course. And everybody was just like, oh, let's go watch this show. And I just thought it was like, I don't know what I thought it was. I, I was so young that I thought it was real. <laughs> and <laughs> it was sketch where it was, speaking of Phil Hartman, it was Phil Hartman. I think it was Phil Hartman. Oh, gosh. Where it was, he was pretending to be uh, like Aquanov some Russian Olympiad and it was the <laughs> all drugs allowed Olympics or something. Okay. So it was him and he was going to pick up a thousand pounds or something. I do remember yeah. this. Remember this is Kevin Nealon was the, uh, the announcer and he was like, Aquanov is going to do the, uh, the, the thousand pound clean jerk or whatever. And Phil Hartman is just like, you know, pumped up. He's like, uh, uh, and then he's like, tries to pick it up and then he just lifts up and he rips his arms off. Yeah, I do remember that and stuff spewing. And he's just like, Rah! and I, little Jason saw this and he got f- so freaked out. He, he ran off and hid behind a couch. Oh, <laughs> That's adorable. He was uh, uh, terrified. Terrified. Well, that's, then, that you know. definitely shows what an impact it had, because I remember watching Saturday Night Live. I do not remember the first sketch I ever saw. For me, it was like, you know, my parents divorced when I was a baby. My mom never really let us watch Saturday Night Live. But when we went to my dad's house, they would let us stay up late on Saturday, so we would always see it. Where, you know, in some cases, we were probably too young, and we were definitely too young to at least get, especially somebody like Dennis Miller, who, you know, is brilliantly funny and just a very smart man but man that political humor went completely over our heads at the time (laughs) so like we remember the silly stuff i can remember my mom had a korean family who were friends of hers and we went to have dinner with them one time and their daughter who was about our age uh i guess they'd recorded an episode of Saturday Night live because she showed us uh, and i remember it was a commercial with victoria jackson and that was the other thing about Saturday Night Live was the commercials. Like, you never knew if you were especially young. Like, is this a real commercial? Is it not? I don't know. But she played a person who had too many fingers. I vaguely like, remember that one. Yeah, she had like three extra fingers on her hand. And so it was like, face it, you've got too many fingers. And she wanted to, you know, hook up with the guy at the office. And he would wasn't interested in her because she had too many fingers. Like, you've tried slamming them off. And it shows her like banging her fingers into a refrigerator door. And it was a commercial for this gel that you would put on your extra fingers. And they would eventually decay and melt off your hand. Yeah, it's called a handy off. Yes. Is that what it was? Yeah. And it was like, I guess it was like a, just a, a very extreme like, wart remover kind of stuff. And, you, you know, app, you apply it once a week. That and- is exactly what it was. Yeah. Didn't it show like a quick, like a like a time stop or like a like a sped up version of just yes. the fingers withering and falling off like in template like in uh, uh, that Indiana Jones like esque kind of way you know yeah yes. no it absolutely did and it was hysterical because I remember the tagline for the commercial was she's finally got her date with the guy and he's like so I should pick you up at six and she goes let's make it five and she holds up her hand to the camera and winks because now she's got five fingers yeah I think it's remarkable that Jason remembers his first sketch that he ever saw and that was obviously the Carvey and Phil Hartman era who are the people that you guys seem to get in your generations gravitate towards the most oh when I first started watching like a little more uh often it was definitely Sandler Farley Spade all those guys like that was the one that like 
my friends in school would talk about and we would all we would all like you know they like you know growing up you're not gonna talk to your you know your 13 year old friends about like the the older versions because no no you know, back then of course how are you even gonna see it you just hear about it you know or get the odd tape about one of the best of i mean we knew all those people as movie stars we knew dan Aykroyd and bill murray as the ghostbusters right. we really didn't think about them in relation to saturday night live when yeah, we, we had first no idea how they became famous back then they're just like they're just famous of course you know they're just famous. right my first ex- like real exposure to saturday night live was actually eddie murphy because he had cool. best of eddie murphy saturday night live oh there you go i had that tape because <laughs> it was a tape yeah i had it memorized start to finish all of his best skits from SNL. That was the most exposure I had when I was really young. So when I started watching, of course, he'd been long gone by the time I started watching in the 90s. But the thing that my friends and I did at school was the Gap Girls. Oh, yeah. Like, we just did that. It was our Monty Python dead parrot skit. Like, we just would walk through the halls and do Gap Girls at each other. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, I'm so hungry. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god yeah there was a time kids when adam sandler and rob schneider even were funny yeah it's true <laughs> back in the olden times they actually did funny things you know adam sandler's first cd came out and it was all around my high school they're all oh, yeah. laugh at you everybody listened to it yeah it was great and you know i think he succumbed to a little bit of movie making laziness or it's just i've got an idea blah let's do it but i mean i used to quote his appearances on weekend update all the time opera man the Halloween guy. Oh, his Halloween stuff was so funny. I love that. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. I got a spoon on my head and I'm crazy. Give me some candy. He he was, he really kind of deconstructed the whole uh, panel thing. You know, he's like, he really could just like, I thought of this. I'm going to kind of think about it and write something up in half an hour and just do it. Like, those yeah. are not things that he's been holding on to forever. Those are like, he's like, ah, this is something dumb I'm doing. I'm just going to do it, you know? Yeah. He's able to pull that off. It was actually pretty genius. Yeah, it seems so like just half baked, and from the outside, it's like this is going to be awful. Can you picture any other SNL cast member like pulling that <laughs> off? Like, no. Who's, the, who's your like like even Eddie Murphy? It'd be like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, Eddie Murphy's stuff always had like a real edge to it, and that was kind of what made him. Sandler stuff was never necessarily edgy. It was just silliness for the sake of silliness. Yeah, yeah like, it was relatively surreal without being completely out of reach. Yeah, and I think also I watched a documentary on Saturday Night Live, and his era in Saturday Night Live too was when they really kind of went from because like a lot of the people, a lot of the casts up to that point hadn't established themselves. I'm sure some of them, but not many of them, as true stand-up comics, they would do sketch. They were sketch artists, or they you know worked with an improv troupe or something. And then you get a bunch of stand-up comics on there, and their take on writing sketches is completely different. Yeah, like that that whole era, except for like Farley was pretty much stand-ups. I mean, yeah. even like, like Jay Moore, Norm Macdonald, you know, Spade, Farley, Rock, uh, Spade, Sandler, Rock. I mean, I don't know. I guess Schneider was a stand-up. I don't even know. But... Yeah, yeah, he was. Okay. Yeah, he's gone back to it, actually. He just came through Greenville recently uh, promoting his, his stand-up show. I can't remember where, but it was somewhere locally. Supposedly a really nice guy, and I'm sure his stand-up was funny, but you couldn't pay me to watch a Rob Schneider movie right now. No, although yeah. the same is true for Adam Sandler. Mm. Very true for Adam Sandler, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. Although I kind of wanted to see that fucking video game movie, and then I heard it was just pixels, and then I heard it was just atrocious. Yeah, I wanted to see it too, and then I, I saw a pretty comprehensive review about uh, how it basically just shits on your whole childhood, and I'm not interested in people shitting on my childhood, so... 
Oh, nobody owns that. No. <laughs> I mean, some people do, but they're relegated to the darker corners of the interwebs. Yeah, they're in the dark web or something. So yeah, so uh, what were the other? Who were the other people that 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 really uh, you guys connected with, or, or maybe even characters? Who were the 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 characters that you guys that you guys remember having an impact? I mean, just like Man Down by the River. I mean, that was like the biggest thing when I was a kid. Like I heard that. Like I didn't even watch. I didn't even see the sketch. Someone just was like doing the line, and I just heard the line. I was like, that is the funniest line I've ever heard for some reason. <laughs> I don't. I'm just. <laughs> I live in a van down by the river that, that I don't know, just the, the image of that was just so, so just odd and silly. It, it really tickled, uh, tickled me uh, just right. I always strangely really liked Ed Grimley. Yeah, Ed Grimley was fun. Yeah, that season is uh, interesting just because that's when they, they it wasn't, uh, the cast wasn't created organically or whatever. It's just like, yeah celebrities like that's when they made like you know like they went from apprentice to celebrity apprentice like we yeah. need ratings let's just put people that people know in the yeah, cab like, so that's when christopher guest was on yeah joan cusack and robert downey jr were on i think was it that season or the one after that i think robert downey jr was actually the season before them he was part of the cast that got unceremoniously fired with the exception of john lovitz they even made a gag about it in the last episode of that season because that cast just was not working in a room and the room catches on fire who will survive and then lauren michaels actually runs into the room and saves john lovitz only <laughs> and then none of them came back except for john right. lovitz i'm sure they weren't happy with it and robert Downey jr was one of those people because he hadn't been established yet he certainly wasn't a stand-up um he was an actor and then they bring in you know people that yeah. are known for comedy i guess because they were just desperate and but they were only on for like one season right yeah it was really weird the, the mid 80s was just like a really weird time for um, snl was on, I got the list right here. Randy Quaid, Joan Cusack. Oh, yeah. Damon Wayans was on it, you know? Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, the mid 80s are very odd where they just like, they still, they were trying just something else. They're like, okay, let's, we've done the celebrities. Let's just do complete unknowns again. And it was, they didn't even get like funny people. I mean, they got funny people. Of course, they're funny, <laughs> but they didn't even get funny people. They just got. <laughs> But but they just random got, schmoes on the street. They just walked out of Thirty Rock and were like, "Hey, you homeless dude, get in here." <laughs> hey, no you know who's available if we want to ask him to do Star Night Live? Carl Sagan. <laughs> <laughs> right? They just got they got intellects. That's what they got. Um, but, but they weren't. I guess. I mean, of course, they're funny people, but but they weren't comedians per se. They weren't like the comedy superstars. You know, they they were, they were just like actors. They were just good actors. Yeah. Well, funny. and normally they were drawing from like second city and the groundlings and they were pulling from improv groups for for people who actually knew how to do like sketch and improv comedy Mm -hmm. and then they stopped doing that for like two and a half years and that just didn't work at all and i think they were i'm pretty sure what happened was they said yeah we're not doing that shit ever again let's go back (laughs) to the unknown people at the improv show because at least they are funny yeah at least yeah yeah and it's always fascinating to me too to hear people talk about what that world was like. You know, we talked about Jay Moore earlier. He was on for like two or three years, never really got many 
much screen time, but he was a writer of a lot of things. I mean, I my first encounter with Jay, Jay Moore was his Christopher Walken Skittles commercial, mm-hmm. which oh. to this day is still hysterical. But he never blew up on that show, but he's got some fantastic stories of what it was like behind the scenes. You know, he's yeah. got a story of, you know, Chris Farley coming into his office and literally shitting out the window. <laughs> Which again, it sounds like, all right, that's okay, you know, but the, but Farley <laughs> doing it and just the circumstances of just seeing it live in front of you, that that is insane. Yeah, Farley's kind of one of my regrets about Serena. I don't think I appreciated him enough when he was alive and on the show. I, he made me laugh, but I never looked at him as sort of the comedic genius that I think I've come to see him as now. And I hope that's not just me jumping on a post-mortem bandwagon. I'm, I'm worried that it might be because I still don't. Like... <laughs> His stuff is funny. He made me laugh on Saturday Night Live and occasionally not on Saturday Night Live, less frequently, but occasionally. And that hasn't changed. My opinion of him has not increased or decreased since his death. Right. I think that we, I mean, anytime we lose somebody who is a great entertainer, it's, it is a loss. I mean, whether they were superior geniuses at their craft or just fucking funny to look at or whatever, it's still a loss. And I think that you can recognize that without overselling. Sure how amazing or superior he may or may not have been. I think that's a good point. But also I look at somebody like Farley and I think the reason that people, you know, in hindsight are looking at him like that now is maybe because of the state it's in now. Because every generation says it's Saturday Night Live. You know, once you hit your 20s, you were always like, well, it's worse than it's ever been. But (laughs) also there was, when you think of all the highlights of that cast, he's in so many of them. And he was one of those guys that had no shame. I mean, everybody remembers the the Chippendales, Patrick Swayze, Chris Farley bit. Yeah. You know, everybody remembers how much he committed to his sketches and had the power. And, you know, I think I think sometimes certain casts, it gets trendy. I think in the mid-90s when, like, Fallon and Horatio Sands were on it to laugh during your sketches. I'm not necessarily saying they did it on purpose, but I remember every time I watched it, I was like, is that all Horatio Sands does? Stand in the background of a sketch and crack up? Treating it like, you know, let's just have fun. And they weren't trying to be, like, good actors the same right. way. But Farley had that magical ability to make people laugh, and you could tell they were trying not to. Right. Oh, when yeah. it happens, when they're, when it's just like you can't help it because this is just so funny in front of you. Like, that's amazing. Uh, but even when people, I, 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 I'll be honest, I enjoyed Fallon and uh, Horatio Sands trying to make each other laugh just because it was like, oh, this is, you know, they're enjoying themselves. And yeah, I'll be honest, like that, those, whenever they were on, like it wasn't, it wasn't the best material all the time. <laughs> right. That just might be me going back, you know, well, back in my day, it was funnier. Right. I mean, I got nothing against Fallon. I honestly don't. Um, Sands, I never quite connected with. Really? I love Horatio Sands. Like, I just loved his uh, his energy. And he, I don't know, just he was uh, he was funny to me, man. Yeah, he, it never he never really did it for me. But it seemed like but I wasn't watching consistently either. And it seemed like every time I did, he was just the guy standing in the background who would laugh at some point during the sketch. So maybe I just didn't give him enough of a chance. Yeah. I mean, if, those are the things people talk about, you know, but I guess if you see, like, if you watch all the, all, like, all the sketches he's done, you know, you realize, oh, he's he's done, like, tons of characters, tons of uh, impressions, and, and, like, his Ozzy was hilarious. I loved his Ozzy. I don't think I ever saw his Ozzy. Really? That was, that was one of his big characters, I guess, or his impressions. So we all started watching it around approximately the same time, so we knew yeah. a lot of the cast members. Everybody obviously knew Eddie Murphy and stuff, and then, you know, we were watching during the Phil Hartman, Dana Carver years, and so 
what we didn't realize, I think, for a long time was that they'd already had to change over to that cast. That's what we knew Saturday Night Live as was the cast we started watching with. And then you have your first big changeover. What was that like for you guys? Were you automatically like, these are different people, they suck? Like, how are they going to continue without XYZ, you know? Right. Well, I mean, there's some validity to that because, honestly, the early 90s was a terrible era. Not the early 90s. The <laughs> Yes, the era that I watched Saturday Night Live was a terrible era. <laughs> You're right. Like, every like big it would be overhaul after overhaul so people like everybody was gone and that's just you know it's like oh no now now you don't have any familiar faces to be like oh well at least there's this guy but yeah and the mid to late 90s was just not good i mean and that's not just because it wasn't my my cast or whatever because by the time the mid to late 90s came around i'd also watched like original snl and a bunch of the eddie murphy time period from snl so it wasn't just the eight people that i knew but seriously once that cast finally filtered out sandler was gone jay moore was gone Harmon was gone kevin nealon was gone mike myers was gone dana carvey had been gone it just it really just wasn't good i don't know why i don't know if they were writing for the wrong comedians you mean right Farrell and all them showed up yeah like there were there was the occasional time when like molly shannon and will ferrell together could make something pretty funny but fuck tracy morgan i'm sorry he's never been funny <laughs> i gotta disagree there i love tracy morgan carissa so you you didn't enjoy phil hartman you didn't enjoy chris farley and you don't enjoy t- uh, uh tracy morgan no, i did enjoy chris farley very much he made me laugh consistently especially on snl what were you saying earlier i thought you said you didn't find him funny oh no i do and i did just not him dying didn't make him a genius in retrospect oh i i got you oh i see okay 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 well if if things went different you know this past year i guess you wouldn't feel any different about tracy morgan either so uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah he they just aren't funny to me like i remember seeing the first like sketch with will ferrell in it and it was the guy yelling at his kids to get off the shed oh my gosh yeah that and it was so odd like that was the thing that i think will ferrell and that cast brought especially will ferrell and they you go back and watch like even they do the best of will ferrell compilations there are some sketches that bomb hard yeah but i loved how strange they were me too I mean, you can go down his list like that might I mean, of course, that's why they made three best ofs of of Will Ferrell. But like that first one was insanely great. I mean, trying to remember some of the sketches, but it was like the Neil Diamond storytellers. You you, you remember that one where it's like these are all the stories, stories about all the songs I created, you know, and uh, he's like, here's a he's like one day me and my buddy were out. We were uh, were drinking hard and we driving home and um, I hit a kid. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, Forever in Blue Jeans. You know, it's like the worst. Story. <laughs> right. It's like the worst stories ever for these nice songs. And uh, yeah, they brought like that whole cast brought like a weirdness and like a darkness. Yeah. I think that the problem with that cast when they first started, because the cast that started around 95, 96, most of them stayed on for a really long time. Like, yeah, they did. They were pretty longstanding actors there. But when they started, it was weird and again i don't know if it's the writers were writing for the wrong people because they were used to writing for you know a half dozen people that aren't there anymore or what but snl always suffers from two problems a they will think when they're writing it among the 40 of them that are compiling this sketch that it's the funniest thing they've ever seen and they'll put it in front of an audience and it's just not sometimes it's just not as funny as they thought it was right 
or they will have a sketch that's amazing for three minutes and it will be seven minutes long. Sure, sure. And I think that that's something that that weird sort of randomy postmodern cast brought was a much starker hit or miss. Yeah. Because like that's when we got we started getting Celebrity Jeopardy, which is one of the funniest things SNL ever did. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Will Ferrell, half the stuff he did is some of the funniest shit I've ever seen on television. Oh, yeah. And half of it fucking isn't. And I know that Will Ferrell is funny. He's even funny. Like, he's funny to me and he's funny objectively. He is a great comedian. And sometimes he's just fucking not. Like, this isn't working at all. That's kind of what I loved. Is I, when, I, when sketches failed before that cast, I felt like they were trying desperately to be funny and that they knew it was bombing and it bothered them. I felt like when that cast bombed, they bombed hard on their own terms. It was very <laughs> strange stuff. And they were just like, this might not work, but I'm willing to give it a fucking shot. And there was a, there was a risk. There was a riskiness to that cast that I think Saturday Night Live has since lost. I don't know if they've lost it. I don't know. But but every time there's a new change, new cast, yeah, they everyone's taking risks. You know, they're like, let's just try and do something different, you know? Yeah. But speaking of bombing, like, yeah, that's totally different people's opinions, you know, because I mean, on the best of SNL, Will Ferrell, there's that one where it's like, here's a sketch that didn't make it because it, they just were like, this isn't really working. It was the one, the uh, the old prospector sketch. Did you guys see that one? I don't think so. It's been a long time. It's uh, Will Ferrell. Oh, the whole setup is like it's an army base they're in i think afghanistan or something and they're gonna like go infiltrate something and they have a, a guy who knows the terrain you know he he's oh I, I might be butchering this but anyway he's like an old prospector and so it's like an army base but like will ferrell plays this prospector guy and he knows like how to survive out in the woods i think anyway it's the audience was not on board but it was still like just <laughs> it was gold you know it was just so funny to me at least yeah well, I think it's all very personal. And some of his sketches, they are like so weird that the general, you know, you just think the audience is just, you know, families and, and parents and, and kids and stuff. And like, it's not going to like the weirder stuff isn't going to appeal to everybody. So that's very true. Just because it's weird. I don't I don't think that means it's not funny or it bombs or something. Sure. I, I totally agree with you. No, absolutely not. But there's there's definitely sketches that I have seen that I thought were hysterical that the audience didn't seem to give two shits about. But then, like Carissa was saying earlier, there are the times when a sketch bombs and it has to go on for another 10 minutes and it just becomes unbearable. I remember a J Jason Patrick hosted, I guess this was around the time of Speed 2 Cruise Control, <laughs> which just makes me chuckle saying the name of that fucking piece of shit movie. They had he had this really long sketch about being a hand model. I think he was a hand model and he got into a car accident and everyone in the limo with him died horribly. But he like got a scratch on his hand and it was devastating to him. And he had to go through like a whole training montage, like Rocky thing to get back on top with his hand modeling. It was funny for about a minute and it had another nine to go. Yeah. And they do that often. And I think honestly, like Wayne's World and the Blues Brothers are great SNL movies. Yeah. The rest of them are <laughs> terrible. They're terrible movies. And that's because they basically take something that was funny, like funny the whole time through a five to 10 minute sketch. Right. And then they make it 90 minutes. Yeah. That is usually the downfall. Yes. Like take your minute sketch that's funny for a minute and make it seven minutes. It's not funny for six of those minutes. If you do that in a movie, it's not funny for way longer. Yours. Do you guys have any guilty pleasure Saturday Night Live movies? Ones that other people consider hunks of shit that you're just like, ah, I kind of like it. I actually enjoyed Stuart Saves His Family. <laughs> 
I don't think I ever saw it. That one good. You see, I didn't like the sketch, so I was probably not interested in the movie. I appreciate the sketch, but it never really made me laugh. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think maybe I just didn't like it because like Al Franken, I was like, are you just gonna do this again? You know, (laughs) like you were a very funny man. Do different things just because. Yeah. You know, I remember really liking the Stuart Smalley sketch. I loved the way he would talk to celebrities when they would come on. You know, I remember little things like Michael Jordan being on and he's like, "Okay, we're going to call you M to preserve your anonymity. (laughs) It's like it's Michael Jordan. Everybody knows who the fuck he is. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a track record where Saturday Night Live movies are concerned that it's just the percentages are way off for the movies. Oh, yeah. Or the sketches. The movies. Like, they're, they're almost always based on popular sketches. Like, I loved it when Tim Meadows finally got a character. Yeah. Because he's a funny guy. Yeah. And he finally got the ladies' man. Uh, when I was at school, there was a free viewing of the ladies' man. And maybe because I it was free, but I, I loved the hell out of it. But yeah. <laughs> it might have been because of that. All right. I got a list of the movies here. I just want to give you guys a thumbs or you guys thumbs up, thumbs down on the movies. Good idea. Okay. There's only about 10. So we I think we said Blues Brothers. Thumbs, thumbs up. up. Thumbs up. Wayne's World. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Coneheads. Thumbs no, down. No, no. It's, it's bad. It was really bad. What? The movie? Terrible. I guess I'm looking I'm looking at it through, you know, adolescent Jason's eyes, and I remember liking <laughs> it. Wayne's World 2. It was okay. Mm. I remember laughing, but like you said, I was very adolescent at the time, too. So if I saw it now, I might not appreciate it, but I remember it being okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's Pat. No. Funnier than I thought it was going to be. Really? To be totally honest. <laughs> That's one I should watch again. You know how much money it made? <laughs> how much? $60,000. Oh, my God. That's not even the budget. No, the, the budget's not listed. But Well, did you guys, have you guys seen Julia Sweeney's one-woman shows? Yes. Yeah. She did God Said Ha, and then she did a second one. I saw the first one. And I think it was in God Said Ha that she related realizing when Pat was done and feelize, feeling really pathetic because of it. After the first sketch? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it was really that whole one joke thing that God bless them for milking it on the show as long as they did because some of the later Pat sketches were still funny. But you want to talk about just a one joke gag. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah. They found something that worked and it, like, okay, Pat, we can do a Pat. We can do a Stewart. We can do a this. Yeah. We can do that. And so they kind of would like rewrite. They would have the show kind of done already before they even started sometimes. Yeah. And since we're all performers or have had performing experience, you know, she told the story and God said, oh, for those of you listening, I'm sure everybody on the show already knows it, but it's a heartbreaking story because she got conned into putting on the outfit one more time for some local parade in her hometown. And they were like, well, this is the hometown of Pat. It'll be great. And she just said she's walking around doing the character and people are just looking at her like, oh, you poor pathetic bastard. What? Oh, no. Because I guess they thought she did it because she had to. That that was her last, you know, that was the only way she could make money now. And she was right. doing it as a favor. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, after a while, you got to just, you got to be like, is it worth it? Is this worth doing? Yeah. What are the repercussions? Yeah. But I want to watch that movie again. I want to give it, a, I'm going to give it another ch- shake. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I could be completely wrong. I'm not going to say it's a great movie, mm-hmm. but I remember it making me laugh more times than I expected it to. Right. And then we had Stuart Saves His Family. I've never seen it, but Carissa gave it a thumbs up. It's, I mean, you, you have to know what you're getting into. But <laughs> I heard she loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's my favorite of all time. She's wearing guys. the t-shirt right now. She's got a tattoo. Hell yeah. And then there's Blues Brothers 2000. No. Oh, God. Which, oh, no, it didn't make its budget either. No. no. 
14 million, which is impressive. There are certain things, you know, they're talking about doing a young Han Solo movie. It's like, I'll give it a chance when it comes out, but I can't imagine anyone else playing Han Solo. But anyway, like, they weren't trying to pretend that John Goodman's character was the same as John Belushi's, but, and I love John Goodman. It just should have never been attempted. Yeah, it was not a good idea. Yeah, I was, I was 17, or I was uh, 18 when that came out, and I was like, whoa, this is not a good idea. I don't get No. Yeah, that's a thumbs down for me. Night at the Roxbury. Oh. I didn't see the movie, so I can't give it a thumb, but the sketch was occasionally slightly humorous. Yeah. Yeah. They they wore they wore that one out. That's the big uh thing I have against like the Will Ferrell age is they ran things into the ground. They really did. And then to close out we had Superstar. I It's cute. It's fine. Ladies Man, which I've loved. And then MacGruber. I actually kind of think MacGruber was kind of funny. I enjoyed MacGruber. Not great. Like, my whole thing was I never was attached to the MacGruber sketch because I was like, why are they doing this now? This is a parody of MacGyver. MacGyver was like 20 years prior to that sketch. That's why it was great, though, because it was so like, why are you doing this? It makes no sense. But you want to talk about a one joke gag. That's every time I'm a group. Like the first time I saw it, I might have laughed. But then every time I saw him a group sketch, I was like, OK, here's what's going to happen. He's going to talk a big game. He's going to talk about inventing something to get them out and they're not going to make it and they're going to blow up. Right. But you knew that. But the whole fun was in the details. Like how like it was all in like, how was he going to, you know, like get out of like, how was he going to like say certain phrases or how was he, right. like, where was the explosion going to come? Like and then it was but I, it's impressive how they packed in such like so much like info in like whatever, like 30 seconds or whatever. Right. Like the one with uh, Charles Barkley. He had this whole like racial tension thing that just kept building and building. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. Quick, uh, Billy, hand me the pen. And then he's like, what pen? And there's like a red one and a black one and a white one or whatever. And, and he's like, you know, you know, the, 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 the African-American, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. They found they found ways to spin it like into different ways, which which I appreciated. It wasn't exactly the same. And maybe and in fact it was short. That's what saved it a little bit because you're like at least you know it's short. Yeah, that's true. Whatever happened. And delivery can save a premise even if the premise is simple. Oh sure, but I think that was also a problem with a lot of the movies is the premises of the movies were always simple yes. to support the jokes that went into it, and that does not usually sustain for an hour and a half. And I think that's what separated for me. Stuart saves his family from a crappy elongated SNL sketch because it was there was more than the sketch to the movie. Right. Okay. Okay. There was actually like a plot. <laughs> I mean, that is the problem with even though I got a couple of chuckles out of it, it's Pat is still just that joke. It's just that stretched joke. out over an hour and a half. Yeah. Right. Just different people guessing. Yeah, and that joke was old by the time the movie started. Yeah. Is that movie offensive now? No, I don't I think doubt so. It. It's too dumb to be offensive. Questioning people's uh, uh, gender and stuff like that is is that I don't I wouldn't consider it offensive because I don't think anyone was doing it in a mean spirited way. They just literally didn't know. They, this wasn't one of those things. If there's one thing that frustrates me about when people get offended by certain things, it's where they take someone's portrayal of a character and think that that person is trying to say that character represents everyone of a gender, a race, whatever. Why isn't it just that character? And Pat never came across to me as mocking transgender people. I don't think Pat's transgender. She's just unidentifiable. Yeah, she's just keeping it to herself. Right, or himself. Their self, yeah. And honestly, it was too stupid to be offensive. Sure. I mean, it was just a very, not stupid in that it was a dumb premise, but it was just too base. It was too basic to be offensive. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily insulting to anyone in particular. No. It was all about that character. 
Right. It wasn't like uh, this is a person that exists that they're making fun of or something. Yeah. Right. Well, now now that we're talking about sort of uh, those those stock characters, you know, the ones that came back again and again and again. Did you have any that the audiences and people in general seemed to adore that you were just like, I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't get it. It has never been funny. Oh, like that I loved, but everyone. No, that everyone else loved. And you were just like, I don't get this at all. Oh, for me, it would be Gilly. Did you ever see Gilly? It was uh, Kristen Wiig. She played, uh, it was like a, a little kid in uh, school and it was Kristen Wiig with like big hair and a, and a bow and she always <laughs> like pulled pranks on people or something, you know? Yeah. And it was always like really violent pranks. Like, you know, you turn around and Keenan Thompson has got like a ball gag in his mouth and he's like wrapped up in the corner. But just like Gilly's character, the character itself was just like, I feel like I've seen this before and it's her just doing a silly voice. Like right. me and comedy, at least my performance is like, I don't really enjoy just like a, an empty, silly voice. Right. Like all you're doing is a voice. That's, uh, that's not enough, you know? And it was just her going like, sorry. It was just her doing like a, mu- like mugging to the camera. It was everything I don't like. It was mugging. Right. It was silly voices. It was just like her, like a precocious kid character. I don't know. I just was not, I didn't get it at all. Yeah. Did people like Toonses? I'll be honest. I liked Toonses. I thought Toonses was hilarious. <laughs> okay. I Then that would be mine. I never liked Toonses the Dragon Cat. I did. There's something about a cat puppet with its mouth wide open in terror that always makes me chuckle. I don't know why. It just does. Yeah. Toonses for me, like this, it was just like it sounded fun. You know, Toonses the Driving Cat. Like Toonses is just like a fun name. The fact that a this cat's driving all the time for some reason is great. And they did that kind of stuff more in that era, I think, where it seemed like a lot of sitcom mockery. They didn't sitcommy stuff in the 90s cast, but in the 80s cast with like the Danny Carveys and the Phil Hartmans, they always had the sitcommy premises, the weird situational comedies that really are making fun of the current state of situational comedy. For me, it was Goat Boy. I never understood Goat Boy. I never thought it was funny. People loved Goat Boy. I liked it when I was a kid. Like I can imagine watching it now would be like, okay, that's just it's it's a, it's a little too much, you know. But the fact that it was like Goat Boy, but he had like what an, an '80s metal show or something. Yeah, something like it. Well, he had a talk show. They mixed that. Yeah, he had a talk show, so that kind of put like a fun element into it. Oh, remember the '80s? That's what it was. Yeah. You know, I liked that they gave him a little more of a backstory, a little more of like something else to talk about. It wasn't just like he's a goat person. He's also like the more important thing is he's really into the '80s. <laughs> but to me, the premise of that whole thing became it's he's going to make weird sounds every once in a while. Oh, totally. It's Brewer in the hallways doing a goat sound, and they're like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, we're doing this. That's literally as much thought as they put into yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. <laughs> People should give SNL a little bit of, of uh, a break because it is so, you know, I mean, we all know it's like you do it in a week. You do it in less than a week. Right. Yeah. You, know, you do so much in three or four days. That's true. It is easy for all of us to sit here and kind of shit on the stuff we didn't like. But, you know, these people and the competition, you know, the people that when you always hear the stories coming out of SNL for the people that work there, they put so much work into this shit. And it was always you were always stressed because too many bad sketches or too many not getting your ideas heard meant you were fired from your dream job. Yeah. So it was a ton of work. So I always respect it as an institution. I just know that it has eras that are my personal favorites and eras that I'm just not that involved in. But as an institution, it can't be overlooked. I personally am a fan of Saturday Night Live again, as you said, as an institution. I, I think that generally for a largely American audience to grab people who would otherwise be unknown as comedians. Yes. 
and make them known. Give them a platform and let us, maybe not us, but the average general mainstream American audience see comedy that they wouldn't normally have been able to see. Right. That's great. Z actually has a critique of Saturday Night Live that I can't really argue. So I'm going to present it to you and see if you can come up with an argument against the critique. Okay. He finds it distasteful and he thinks that it is responsible for America actually not getting more good comedy, such as, for example, Britain has. Because, in his estimation, it ties up the best of our up-and-coming comedians. It doesn't bring them up and showcase them and then send them out into the world to allow them to grow. It holds them in this cage of overly scripted, overly controlled skit comedy, sketch comedy. Sure. And that sketch comedy is largely unfunny with some huge hits. And it keeps them from diversifying and it keeps us from being able to explore greater panel show diversity because we don't really do comedy panel shows because all of our up and coming sketch comedy and stand up comedians either want to make their Comedy Central CD or be on Saturday Night Live. Hmm. And so we don't get anything but that because that's what we're offered. I guess the only argument I would have against that is that that's not I don't think that's Saturday Night Live's job is to be a boot camper workshop for comedians. It's literally to be, can you come up with a funny idea and sustain it? And we wouldn't have a lot of great comedians in the spotlight if we didn't have Saturday Night Live. Agreed. Like while they're there. Yes, I think that a lot of times they do. Uh, their ideas are handcuffed. I think the biggest change that Saturday Night Live between when it started and what it is now is they try and play it safe a lot. Whereas when they kind of didn't know what they were and they were just a bunch of edgy comedic hippies, basically, they took a lot more chances. But I think now they try and play it safe and go with you know more crowd-pleasing comedy. But I think there's been a lot of brilliant people coming out of Saturday Night Live that learned at least a different side of their craft through that. And also, like we have so many other avenues for other sketch shows now. You know, Comedy Central, like you said, has a lot of, got a lot of stand-ups, but it also, you know, it gave us Chappelle's show. It gave us Key and Peel. And in the YouTube generation, when if you don't want to do the Saturday Night Live thing, you could... Yes, that shows right now is perfect for the YouTube generation. Yeah. I mean, that's why, like, uh, The Tonight Show is like... I mean, of course, Jimmy Fallon is embracing the fact that it's a YouTube yes. generation, so he's tons of that kind of content, which, which is great. I think SNL... I don't know if it's uh, hampering. I'm not sure if it is because it's giving them a place to showcase them in, in, at all, you know, and if they can handle like the SNL, you know, if they can handle the writing, the acting and all this and, and being, you know, taking all this pressure, then they can handle, you know, big movies and, and actually handle like the, the pressures of being a movie star or, or, or a comedy star. So it does kind of weed out the people that you know although not i mean just because you're great on snl doesn't mean you're gonna be great oh yeah after chris Catan, where'd he go molly <laughs> shannon where'd she go you know all this stuff but snl is great just because it shines a little bit of a light on so many not so many but like on, on different people and even if you're there a year and you're gone i mean jay moore he was a barely there guy but he's one of the funniest dudes you know and he's always working you know it might not be you know in, in the biggest spotlight but he's always working and uh he's out there doing shows and, and influencing other people you know there's i don't know if there's i mean he's influencing like a ton of impressionists no doubt like the next generation like he's he like yeah it's, i'm going on a tangent but what do you guys <laughs> i would agree with that largely i kind of agree with you i think that initially kind of as we've repeated now as an institution bringing up comedians that are just doing improv mm -hmm. that's great because honestly, I don't want to see really good up and coming comedians just stuck doing improv forever. Right. But I am also a gigantic fan of British panel shows that we just don't have here. 
uh, we have no platform for that at all. Are you talking about like Graham Norton type shows? No, those are interview shows. I'm talking panel shows like QI or 8 Out of 10 Cats or Would I Lie to You? Like game shows? I guess I don't, I'm not familiar with what these are. Yeah, that's because we don't have them. And it's a shame because Brits approach comedy differently than Americans do. Very true. And they have an appreciation for the comic, the comedian, in a way that we don't. Because kind of the way that comedians progress here is you are either a stand-up and that's what you do and you become a famous stand-up and you put out movies and CDs of your stand-up act or you get to SNL and then become a movie star. Like there's an elevator and it has two floors. We don't have any, you're a comedian and everybody knows who you are. You're a household name and you. we see you on television three times a week and you're funny. To have those game shows, like I guess kind of like um, Celebrity Connect Four or whatever it was. Uh, well, like think of... The closest we have right now is the show At Midnight on Comedy Central. Oh, okay. I know exactly what, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's a quiz show, and they don't win anything. Like, it's not a game show. It's just a trivia show. Right. But they bring on comedians who are working, who are, you know, writing for shows or doing stand-up or touring the country or doing whatever. They're working comedians, but they're not household names. Right. Necessarily. And they bring them on, and they do a half-an-hour quiz show, and everybody laughs, and it's hilarious. That's a panel show. Right. Oh, uh, like the match game, maybe back in the day, would that be kind of like a panel show? Kind of, yeah. Because, I mean, there was a structure for that show, but they also were allowed to just be funny. I think that kind of counts, yeah, because they were allowed to be themselves and be funny in between answering questions and just being silly. Anyway, it was not a serious game show in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, absolutely. And so the UK has, like, QI, which is uh, amazing. Eight out of ten cats which is just funny. Would I lie to you? They're, they have a ton. Like I could spend the rest of this episode just listing off shows that aren't SNL right. that are panel shows in Britain. But we don't have any of those except the very recent edition of At Midnight. But is that the fault of SNL or is that the fault of just America in general? Because we've tried. We had Tough Crowd for a while. We had the original incarnation of Bill Maher's show, uh, Politically Incorrect. You know, we, we have attempted. They just haven't hit with audiences yeah but those are all talk shows talk shows are not the same thing but they are giving up-and-coming comics that you would have never seen otherwise the chance to be themselves and just talk about relevant things yeah but that's not the chance to be funny for us yeah the point of those panel shows is the same thing as the point of snl basically is to showcase you being funny for me you are meant to be entertaining when you come on and talk about your political opinion you're not i mean maybe you're being funny about it but you're not being funny Right. Sure. So, and I don't know that I agree. I think SNL is fine. I mean, it has its problems that we've discussed, but it's a fine show. But I can't honestly say that I disagree that the comedians who are doing sketch comedy and, you know, club stand up and improv troops, that they don't want to go to SNL, that they wouldn't be gearing toward SNL because they pretty much are. Oh, I think a lot of them do. Yeah. But they're also, I think we are living in a time where there are other avenues they might not have had otherwise, especially with the advent of like, you know, Netflix and these things that will pick comedians and just say, we think you could make a good show where you don't have to go through that because it's not the only avenue anymore. And maybe that's why the quality has, has dipped a little bit in the past few years is because a lot of really good comedians are going, I don't have to go through Saturday Night Live. You know, Aziz Ansari did not have to go through Saturday Night Live to get his Netflix show. He had to be a successful working comic and someone to go, we think you've got a great idea for this. Do it. I mean, yeah, and he blew up when he was like 18. So it, he was he was already famous, but he didn't need SNL. He was already famous. Right. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I don't, it's an interesting question. But I also think that it's hard to say 
you know, who knows? I mean, At Midnight is still on and it's still doing well. So maybe that's what's going to start it for America. That would be amazing. That would be fantastic because we need panel shows. I love At Midnight for several reasons. One, because it's a panel show. Two, because it's all about nerd stuff. And I'm down with that. And I watch British panel shows yeah. all the time. There isn't an American comedy show that I watch as much as I watch British panel shows. Right. <laughs> really? That's cool. But now another aspect of SNL that we really haven't touched on much at all and I want to ask you guys opinions about is the Weekend Update. Who's your favorite uh, Weekend Update anchor? Oh, God. Norm MacDonald, all the way. That's a good question. I really liked Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller was great. Yeah. Norm MacDonald was too. I just like, I never loved Norm MacDonald as much as a lot of the other guys simply because I felt like his humor didn't work for that segment as much as it could have. But it was always funny to watch him sort of know that when he did the weekend update. Like there was always a twinkle in Norm MacDonald's eye when he would do that because he knew. What do you mean it wasn't, didn't work for that segment? I think his style is not a mass appeal style. And that's nothing, not a, 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 a dig on him at all. But it was obviously, he was not a crowd pleaser. No. And that's what I mean for like, for that segment, I think like the most successful people are the people that have, you know, are intelligent, but also have a sense of humor about the issues that sort of appeals to a wide range of people. Yeah. And for me anyway, it was, it, it was always interesting to watch Norm MacDonald because I think he knew that about himself and he said, fuck it anyway. Yeah, which is which is just uh, amazing to me. And, and it I guess empowering as a performer, you know, to yeah. be like, yeah, the audience doesn't dictate anything. You know, they're right. there to react to what you do. And it's up to you to decide what do you want to try to creep them out and freak them out and say the worst shit ever? Or do you want to be like Jay Leno and just try to make them love you and just say, you know, lighthearted, silly stuff? Right. I have to say, other than Dennis Miller, I did like a lot of Colin Quinn's tenure mm-hmm. on Weekend Update. Yeah, he didn't get a clean, sh- get a good shake, but you know, looking back, like I enjoyed him. That's what introduced me to Colin Quinn, and I didn't come to appreciate Colin Quinn until after he was off Saturday Night Live. I saw his one man show a couple years ago on Showtime. It's amazing. Yeah, he's quite good. He's amazing. And what I have seen of it, I have been actually pretty impressed with what Seth Meyers did. I like Seth. Yeah, like uh, not that I didn't like any of the other people. Like I enjoyed all the other iterations. Um, but Seth particularly was like, oh, he's he's great. I, mean, I love Tina Fey. And I think she was she was smart and she was just edgy enough. But she had a delivery for everything that could really, really hit the message home. And I I don't know. I will always have a soft spot in my heart for her as a weekend update anchor. I think she did a fantastic job. And I think she was the head writer at the time. I don't know if that's normal. Is it normal for the weekend update person to be one of the head writers? I don't think Dennis Miller was. No, it is not normal. In fact, the Weekend Update writers are typically separate from the... Yeah, they always seem that way. That was one thing that when I first started watching, it was Dennis Miller, and it always confused me because it felt like, as a kid anyway, it felt like it was this completely separate thing, which it technically was because you never really saw him in sketches. He'd be in one every once in a while, but he was not a sketch guy. But yeah, when Norm was writing, it was just him and Jim Downey pretty much, and maybe a, a couple others, but it was just them off by themselves doing their own thing. He wouldn't want to do sketches... All he wanted to do was uh, just do update, you know, right? And that's I think that's how maybe it should be because like this is your biggest gig. This is the most this is the main gig you do. You should just focus on that and make that as best as you can make it. You know, I think that's a smart way to do it for sure. And it brought us a lot of good characters too, like that M. Sandler stuff we were talking about earlier. And uh, then what's what's the guy? Oh, he's so funny to me. Oh, Stefan. Stefan, I fucking love Stefan. 
See, that's when right when you think SNL is like they've done as much as they can do. They've they've hit the bottom of the bucket. Then something like Stefan comes around. You're like, this is so different and funny. It hits like all the right buttons, you know, for the pop for the general population. Yeah, for sure. And now let's talk about kind of the peripheral stuff, the commercials or the the, the great Robert Schmeigel animations or, you know, in my time, it was deep thoughts. Every time a deep thought came up, I was like, oh, yes. Yeah. And it lasted for, you know, five seconds, but would just kill you. What are you guys' favorite peripheral things? I have to remember all of them that I've seen. Peripheral, I mean, just, you mentioned deep thoughts. That alone hit me just right. I mean, it's just, they're so compact. Yes. It's just the right, like they use as a few words as they could and, and they needed, you know, I don't know, you know, it was just so short and like, it was just amazing little vignettes of just like these scenes. And I could read them all day when I was a kid. Like They put them in a book at one point. Bunch of books. There's like four or five books. Yeah. And they were all just, you know, it was kind of like reading a far side book. You knew at some point you were going to hit one that just made you break just completely. I mean, I always loved like the ambiguously gay duo and most of Schmeigel's animations. I remember seeing Mr. T, his Mr. T animations I thought were hilarious. Oh, yeah. Where it was sort of the, the 80s cartoon vibe, but it was all about Mr. T trying to find a job. Mm. And he had his plucky kid sidekick with him. Real quick, going back to Jack Candy, though, he wrote a book called uh, What I'd Say to the Martians and Other Veiled Threats. Have you guys read this book? No. I have not. It's really funny. So it's not like Deep Thought. He's expanding to essays. And they're all like a page or two long, nothing crazy. They're just all these little short, you know, completely separate things. And uh, they're just really great. They, I, I mean, some of them made me laugh out loud, you know. How long ago was this done? This book came out maybe six years ago. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I think I liked a lot of the commercials from the mid to late 80s. Yeah. They were really pretty fucking hilarious. And I think my favorite digital short extra has got to be Lonely Island. Lonely Island's great. Yeah, the digital shorts. I mean, like, uh, what they start out with, like, lettuce or something. Yes. <laughs> like, that was, when I saw that, I was like, this is just so weird. Like, I dug it, but they just got better and better. I mean. Oh, yeah. I think the first one I remember, Lonely Island was Dick in the Box, right? Their first one was Lazy Sunday. Yeah, but that was, that was still, was it technically Lonely Island that was Dick in a Box, or was that just Andy Oh, Sandberg? yeah, yes. No, it was Lonely Island. Because I'm pretty sure that was the first one I saw, because that became such a viral sensation. I don't even know if I was watching Saturday Night Live at the time. I just saw that one. And just the combination of just the ridiculousness of it, the fact that Justin Timberlake was all in, it just it worked on every level. And that's when I started, I think, learning more about Lonely Island and really liking those guys was because of that, like a lot of other people. You know, Dick in the Box became huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those guys, like you thought they hit it with Lazy Sunday, but then Dick in the Box, like once you get other celebrities involved and it's like, it's just insane. And they did like three of them, <laughs> which is, which is amazing. They're all pretty funny. Yeah. And that could be a good way to segue into probably the last thing we could talk about, unless you guys have anything else you want to drop in, is hosts. Who are your favorite hosts? Christopher Walken. Yeah. Chris Walken's great. Like, yeah, he's in so many just like classic yeah. sketches. Yeah. I love uh, Pranksters. <laughs> that one was great. Did you see that one? I don't think I saw Pranksters. It was him and Seth Meyers. He just plays an old man, as he always does. But like Seth Meyers is like, welcome to Pranksters, the prank show where we prank people, whatever. And they show the first one, and it's Chris Kattan pranking his sister, you know, and they put like a fake like a fake snake or something in her bed. I forget. And it's just like, oh, man, I got her. You know, and then uh, Chris Walken, he's like, yeah, I got a, I got a video. And he's like, this guy he keeps parking in my parking spot. So here's the video. Watch watch how I prank him. And it's just like a he puts a camera on the ground and you can see everything. And when the guy comes out to, you know, to drive away, Christopher Walken comes out with a tire iron and just... <laughs> 
beats the shit out of him. Yeah. So, you know, of course, Seth Myers is creeped out and he's just like, I pranked him. I pranked him to death with a tire iron. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is funny. So even like stuff that's not like, you know, the, the you know, that hits with like the general public, you know, one yeah. of those universal things that everyone knows, like he still killed it. And there is something magical about a host willing to really go for it because, I mean, almost any athlete they got on there, a lot of musicians they got on there were just duds from the beginning. Yep. A lot of actors were too vain to really do anything extremely silly. You know, they thought maybe putting on a wig would be enough. And like, no, you got to be like a Justin Timberlake or a Tom Hanks who kind of understands comedy and commits to it. And Christopher Walken, I think, surprised everyone when he went on Saturday Night Live because he always came across as this kind of weird, creepy dude. And it showed that he's got this phenomenal sense of humor and isn't afraid to look silly. I'm uh, I'm looking on here. He his first show was 1990. So he obviously went he had like a big movie around 1990 or something and they they're like, you know, they have to have him on. And yeah, he was just a big surprise and he's one of those weird guys that just is like a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like it's either going to be, you know, someone that won the Super Bowl, get him on or or just like an actor. Some it doesn't matter like not you don't know they're talented. You just know they've got the number one movie. Yeah. So you never know how it's going to turn out. And I think a sign of any host that gels with the show is when they ask them back when they have nothing to promote. Or somebody like Tom Hanks, who was one of the only hosts to have a recurring character. Justin Timberlake has a recurring character, technically. I think Tom Hanks was the first one to have a recurring character. Uh, It was Mr. Short-Term Memory. Yeah. Which, again, one joke, but he committed, man. He fucking committed. And yeah, Justin Timberlake turned out to be a great host. The guest gets so much leeway, you know, they're just happy he's there. And, and yeah, yeah, it's not so. But it's, then a, it's also, a speech every couple of years instead of every week. So there also is something that is really refreshing. You could be a huge asshole in public, in the press. People can have a terrible opinion of you. You know, Alec Baldwin has caused his share of people kind of getting up in arms about things he says or does. But if he's on Saturday Night Live, that might make me tune in. Even if it's a generation of Saturday Night Live that I'm not a huge fan of, he's fantastic on that show. Yeah, it's kind of like a reset button for him. Yeah. You get crazy and say some terrible thing or have a voicemail leaked, but then once he does SNL, it's like, oh, you're okay again in my book. Yeah, and there's something refreshing about celebrities who don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. And, you know, there's plenty of celebrities that think they can just go on there and be funny, and they fail miserably. Yeah. And somebody like Peyton Manning surprised me a little bit. So funny, yeah. He had some really funny stuff on there, and I love it when they go against their own image. You know, I loved Natalie Portman going on there and having her, her, her gangster rap. Yep. Oh, that was amazing. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. I watched that so many times, dude. That was just, that was the best. I love it when they have stand-ups host. I mean, Louis C.K. did not necessarily need the help of Saturday Night Live, but it was wonderful to see an opening monologue that was just a stand-up doing his thing. Yeah, when it's like a real stand-up opening monologue, that's the best. Oh, they're great. Chris Rocks was so good. Chris Rocks was great. You know, Martin Lawrence has caused a lot of controversy back then, but it's also like, you know what his stand-up is. Yeah. If you're being honest and just letting him do his thing, why is that such a controversy? Can't be surprised. Yeah, and that's that's always great when they do that. And, you know, it's it's given rise to a lot of talent. I mean, Steve Martin and Andy Kaufman and, you know, just a bunch of great people. What did you guys think of the uh, anniversary, the big anniversary show? I, th- I think I had a show or I don't know why, but I couldn't see it, which is insane because, you know, five years ago I watched every single episode. But I watched a lot of it on YouTube and I loved it, man. It felt like. I'm glad they did a little bit more than just here are the fun, here are the same scenes you've seen a thousand times. There's more like live stuff. 
Right. Which is exactly what you needed. You know, like, let's let's take advantage of all these people together in the same room. Well, I mean, they definitely brought back some jewels. I mean, they had a great Celebrity Jeopardy where they brought back so many people yeah. who had done their celebrity impressions on that show. One, you know, Norm MacDonald, not necessarily known for impressions. His Burt Reynolds is hysterical. Well, and classic. Yeah. They brought Daryl Hammond back as Sean Connery, which is just the interplay with him and Will Ferrell is never not funny. Indeed. And that's kind of a one joke thing that you'd think would get old. But by the fifth time, he's twisting the names of the categories into something perverse. It's still fucking hysterical. Yeah, it never gets old. It never gets old for me. Yeah. If you put the work in, if you really take care to like to those kind of details, you can do the same premise over and over. But it's just harder the longer you do it. The every, you know, the next time it's got to be that much more clever, that much yep. more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've said all we could say, but we all know that love or hate it, we've all had our periods where we loved it, and it would be weird if it were gone. Like, it's always one of those things that even if you don't watch it, you just know it's there. You are kind of glad it's still there. It's still, good. And it's like, it's kind of comforting. So, Jason, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a oh, lot yeah. of fun. we got to do it again sometime. Yeah, of course, man. I loved it. And perhaps we'll have Carissa as a guest on the Bearded Ones podcast sometime. It can be just a big, nepotistic circle jerk. <laughs> yeah, for real. That was the name of my college band. I know. <laughs> no, you didn't. I went to tech and didn't graduate. I didn't have a college <laughs> band. Carissa, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, how can they do that? Best way would be to hit us up on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10K. But you can email us privately if you need to keep your words a secret <laughs> at Lucky10,000 at gmail.com. All spelled out, Lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Awesome. If you want to give us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes, whatever you say, once you do that, we will read on the air. Hey, Jason, uh, do you got anything you want to plug? Personally, I guess uh, check out the 24-Hour Play Festival at the Greenville Little Theater January 30th. Yeah. It's uh, myself, Wofford Jones, are writing a play the, f- the Friday night before. And uh, so come on out. Check that out. Evan Harris is going to be directing. He might be directing mine. Who knows? We'll see. But yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it is $12, 8 o'clock, January 30th, GLT. And once the uh, first act of the actual plays is over, Laughing Stock, mine and Jason's improv group, will be taking the stage. So you definitely want to come and check that out. Carissa, I would recommend you do that if you weren't on the other side of the country. But you'll be there in spirit. Yes, always. Hey, but I do want to mention, since you brought it up, we did get a five-star review on iTunes. Oh, nice. That's right. We did. Jay Boss from Excuse My Adlib podcast, which is really good. Uh, he yeah. says, thanks for a great listen. I'll be sure to suggest this joint to my co-host. So yeah. thank you. Thanks, man. Very much so. And I think one of us might want to give them a, a little nice little five-star mention as a, as a favor if we haven't already. Yeah, absolutely. And also because we like the podcast. We're not going to give a podcast five-star reviews if we don't like it. <laughs> so if you give us a five-star review and you suck... Thanks, but sorry. You know, them's the breaks. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes in the cutthroat dog-eat-dog world of podcasting. That's right. You step up your game. Once again, Jason, thanks so much for doing this. If you've never heard him before, you know, he's a great stand-up, great improv guy, and he is also the co-host of the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast, also on the Bearded Ones Network, so check that out. And I think that's it. So we hope you enjoy this, and I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.